Audio Podcast Network. Welcome to the true crime podcast you can binge on your lunch break. My name is Joy. I am a school librarian, obsessive researcher, and lifelong true crime nerd. Each week, I'll be bringing you a new case to dissect. We'll focus on the facts, giving exposure to some of the lesser-known stories in the true crime world. You never know what you might learn. This is Bite Size Crime. Welcome back to Bite Size Crime. This week, we're looking at the disappearance of 18-year-old Zeb Quinn and the many mysteries surrounding it. This episode discusses sensitive topics, so listener discretion is advised. Zeb Wayne Quinn grew up in the mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. He was very close to his mother, Denise, and his sister, Brandy. Growing up, Zeb struggled with school as a result of an unspecified learning disability, but in high school, he enrolled in the Reserve Officers Training Corps. Zeb found a sense of belonging in the ROTC, and it became a positive influence in his life. After graduating from Roberson High School, Zeb began taking classes at Asheville Buncombe Technical Community College, where he worked hard and got good grades. While taking classes, Zeb worked in the electronics department of the local Walmart on Hendersonville Road. He enjoyed the job and was well-liked by his co-workers. On the evening of Sunday, January 2nd, 2000, Zeb finished up his shift at Walmart at 9 p.m. He had plans to meet up with a friend after work, 22-year-old Robert Jason Owens, a former co-worker of Zeb's. The two occasionally played pool together, and Zeb had mentioned that he was looking to buy a new car. Jason said he knew of a Mitsubishi for sale in the neighboring town of Leicester and offered to go with Zeb to look at it. Zeb and Jason met up in the Walmart parking lot a little after nine. They took separate cars, Jason in his Ford pickup and Zeb in his blue Mazda protege. It was about a 30-minute drive from South Asheville to the small town of Leicester. Before they got on the interstate, Zeb and Jason stopped at a gas station on Hendersonville Road to pick up drinks. Surveillance footage from the convenience store shows them purchasing sodas at 9.15 p.m. The two men then got back in their vehicles and headed south towards Long Shoals Road. According to Jason, they hadn't been back on the road for long when Zeb flashed his headlights, indicating that he needed to pull over. They stopped near Robeson High School, and Zeb told Jason that he had just gotten a message on his pager. He said he needed to find a payphone and asked Jason to wait until he got back. When he returned about 10 minutes later, he accidentally rear-ended Jason's truck. Passing drivers later reported that it appeared the truck and Mazda had been in a minor accident, but no one seemed hurt. Zeb apologized for hitting Jason's truck, then told his friend that he couldn't go to Lester after all. He then hopped back in his car and drove away. The next morning, Zeb's mom, Denise, was getting worried. She knew Zeb had planned to go to Lester to look at a car, but she had expected him to be home later that night. He hadn't taken any clothing or extra money with him, and his contact lens solution was still in the bathroom, so it didn't seem likely that he had decided to spend the night elsewhere. When she still hadn't heard from Zeb by that afternoon, she called the Buncombe County Sheriff's Office and reported him missing. That same day, Jason had checked in at an urgent care center around 9.30 a.m. He was treated for a head wound and a broken rib before being released. 
He told his boss at the Volvo Construction Equipment Plant that he had gotten into a car accident the night before, but no accident reports were ever filed with the police, and his injuries seemed more severe than what he would have incurred in a simple, slow-moving fender bender. By Tuesday, January 4th, Zeb still had not returned home, and he didn't show up for work. This was very out of character for Zeb. He loved working at Walmart and never missed a shift. At some point during the day, Zeb's supervisor got a phone call from someone claiming to be Zeb, telling her that he was sick and couldn't come into work. Suspicious, the supervisor dialed star 69, which allowed her to trace the call back to a Volvo construction equipment plant, the same one where Jason Owens was employed. The supervisor reported this call to the police, who then contacted Jason Owens. Jason told detectives what had happened on Sunday night and admitted to making the phone call to Walmart. He said that Zeb had asked him to make the call, but he wouldn't say why. After that, he refused to cooperate any further. Over the next few weeks, the search for Zeb continued. Detectives suspected that Jason knew more than he was saying, but they didn't have any real evidence that Zeb didn't just drive away on January 2nd. Zeb's family did not believe this theory. They knew Zeb would never just leave without telling them, especially his mom, Denise. Besides, he didn't have any money with him, and his whole life was in Asheville. He had a job he loved, and he was working hard at school to make a future for himself. But Zeb was also young and naive. It wasn't outside the realm of possibility that he had been lured away or tricked by someone with bad intentions. Finally, on January 16th, there was a break in the case but it brought more questions than answers. Two weeks after his disappearance, Zeb's car was discovered abandoned in the parking lot of the Little Pig's Barbecue restaurant, less than 10 miles from where he had last been seen. The driver's side seat had been pulled up as if someone very short had been driving last. Inside the car, investigators found a plastic hotel key, several empty drink bottles, a jacket, and a black Labrador puppy. The good news was that the puppy was totally fine and was later adopted by one of the police officers. The bad news was that none of the items found in the car actually belonged to Zeb. The strangest finding was on the outside of the car. Someone had used bright orange-pink lipstick to draw a large pair of lips and two exclamation marks on the rear windshield of the vehicle. No words, just these odd symbols. Investigators began looking into the possibility that a woman may somehow be involved in Zeb's disappearance. They soon discovered that Zeb had recently befriended 19-year-old Misty Taylor. Zeb was interested in Misty, but she had a boyfriend, a young man named Wesley Smith. Zeb had told his family that Wesley was abusive towards Misty and that he was worried about her. He also said that Wesley had threatened him due to his friendship with Misty. Detectives also began digging into Zeb's pager history. Jason had mentioned Zeb getting a page around 9.30 on January 2nd. Whatever was in that message had gotten Zeb worked up enough that he had stopped to go make a phone call and then later abandoned the trip altogether. Police eventually traced the page and discovered that it had come from the home of Zeb's Aunt Ina. This was especially strange because Zeb was not close with his aunt and she denied having called Zeb's pager that night. On the night of January 2nd, Ina had been having dinner at her friend Tamara Taylor's house. 
Interestingly enough, Tamara was the mother of Zeb's friend Misty, and Misty and her boyfriend Wesley had been at Tamara's house that night as well. In another strange twist, Ina later reported to police that her house had been broken into that same night, but nothing was taken. Was it possible that someone had broken into Ina's house just to send a message to Zeb's pager? But who would do that, and why? And what did the message say? Unfortunately, we don't know the answers to those questions. And if the police knew, they weren't saying. They had a random assortment of clues that weren't enough to make a full picture of what happened to Zeb, and they certainly weren't enough to make an arrest. After a while, Zeb's case went cold. It was largely forgotten by the community, although investigators would occasionally look into the file over the years. In 2009, they collected hair, saliva, and fingerprint samples from Misty Taylor, but they later said that Misty wasn't a suspect. In 2012, the television show Disappeared featured an episode about Zeb's case. The internet, in its infancy when Zeb disappeared in 2000, was now commonplace, and his case began to get more traction, but there really weren't any new leads coming in. In early 2015, Detectives told the Asheville Citizen Times that they were still working on the cold case. Quote, We still believe there are people in the area who know critical information but haven't come forward. Zeb's mom hadn't given up either. Denise told local news outlet WLOS that her son's disappearance had left a hole in her life. Quote, Somebody is watching their children grow, and we are living the nightmare of not knowing where he is or what happened or anything. Zeb's case was cold, but soon a tragic double murder would bring his story back to the forefront. In March of 2015, Joseph J.T. Codd and his wife, Christy Schoen Codd, were living in the town of Candler, North Carolina, just a few miles west of Asheville. The couple had recently married and were expecting their first child, a girl they were planning to name Skylar. But on March 15th, Family members reported Christy and JT missing after they hadn't heard from them in a few days. When police searched their home, they found the couple's cars still on the property and their two dogs left alone. It was clear that Christy and JT had not left on their own accord. As detectives processed the scene, they received a report of suspicious activity just off Highway 23, a few miles away. When officers arrived, they searched a dumpster and found items belonging to Christy Codd. They were able to determine that the person who dumped the items was a neighbor of the Cods that they had recently hired to do some construction work on their home, a man named Robert Jason Owens. Jason was no stranger to law enforcement. In the 15 years since his friend Zeb disappeared, Jason had racked up quite a list of convictions. He served multiple sentences in state prison, for felonies and misdemeanors, such as reckless driving, eluding arrest, assaulting an officer, and drunk and disorderly conduct. When he was released in 2009, he was quiet for a while, staying out of trouble for several years. But when investigators realized Jason was tied to the Cod case, they knew they had their suspect. On March 16th, they brought Jason in for questioning. Jason admitted to breaking into the Cod's home, saying he had taken some items and later thrown them into the dumpster when he thought he would get caught. While Jason was being questioned, authorities were executing a search warrant on his property. There, they found what appeared to be human remains inside a wood stove. 
Robert Jason Owens was arrested and charged with the murders of J.T. and Christy Codd and their unborn child. He later confessed to the crimes, admitting to storing and disposing of the bodies on his property. However, he claimed that he accidentally ran them over with his truck, then panicked and decided to cover it up rather than report the accident. As Jason waited for his hearing, investigators continued to search his property. In a warrant dated March 31, 2015, authorities noted that Jason had allegedly started construction on a fish pond back in January of 2000, right after Zeb Quinn had disappeared. According to an unnamed relative, Jason had a large area on his property that he often used as a burn pit. But not long after Zeb disappeared, Jason had poured concrete over the pit, claiming that he was turning it into a fish pond. But the pond never materialized, and Jason later covered the pit with dirt. When investigators searched the area in March of 2015, they uncovered a mountain of evidence, including shreds of leather and fabric under the layer of concrete, and something the reports referred to as hard fragments. They also uncovered plastic bags containing an unknown white powder, possibly pulverized lime or mortar mix. Over the next two years, authorities continued to build their case against Robert Jason Owens. In April of 2017, he pleaded guilty to three counts of second-degree murder and two counts of dismemberment for the murders of J.T., Christie, and their unborn child. He was sentenced to 59 years in prison without the possibility of parole. But it still wasn't over. Jason was serving time for the murders of the Cod family, but the family of Zeb Quinn still needed justice. On July 10th, 2017, a Buncombe County grand jury finally indicted Robert Jason Owens with first-degree murder in the death of Zeb Quinn. If convicted, he will receive a life sentence. As of 2022, Jason is in prison for one crime while awaiting trial for another. Zeb Quinn's remains have never been found, and the true circumstances surrounding his disappearance are still a mystery. Zeb Quinn disappeared on January 2nd, 2000. He was last seen wearing a white t-shirt, a plaid button-down shirt, khaki pants, and a gold chain necklace. He is 5 feet 9 inches tall and weighs 165 pounds, with brown hair and blue-gray eyes. He wears contact lenses and has scars between his fingers on both hands. He would be 40 years old as of this recording. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Zeb Quinn, please contact the Asheville Police Department at 828-252-1110 or call Crime Stoppers at 828-255-5050. Thank you for listening to Bite Sized Crime. This episode was written, researched, and edited by me, Joyce Gaglione. Theme music is by Arts Guitars. For episode transcripts, pictures, and sources, please visit bitesizedcrimepod.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bitesizedcrimepod. If you have a suggestion for a case I should cover, please email me at bitesizedcrimepod at gmail.com. And be sure to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Audio Podcast Network.